You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk week, and that means I have my good friend and co-founder with me, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. Hello, hello, hello. It's good to be back. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And this is the, is this our first Indie Talk of 2021, Nick? Yeah, officially. I think our last talk was uh, an official wrap-up. So I think this is the first one of 2021. It is. And, and it's almost like one part of the industry is ramping up because of Oscar season coming around the corner in April. I think April's when the awards are. And so all these films are going to have like this runway to try to get awards. And uh, all the four-year considerations are being mailed out. And on the other hand, it's like nothing's happening from a sort of business and news perspective, right? It's uh, kind of quiet out there, Nick. <laughs> kind of lonely in film yeah. world. Well, maybe unless you know you're watching the news and you're seeing that you know Netflix is going to release what one film every week throughout in the entirety of 2021. What a competitive move, right? To yeah, man. <laughs> to, to compete against Warner Brothers there, and yep. um, there's a survey that was done that talked about you know, why you would cancel a subscription. And number one at 74% was if the subscription price increased. Number two at 41% was if you took your streaming service away from my distribution point, meaning a Roku, PS4, Apple TV, et cetera, Google, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Google cast or something like that. I don't know. Um, Google play. Yeah, Google Play. So if you took that away. And then um, kind of in the middle is, you know, if you stopped making original movies at 16%. So right now that's really not why people are watching these streaming services. But that could very well shift in 2021 with all these day and dates happening and it really becoming a battle royale where everybody's chips are are pushed to the center, Nick. Yeah, it's interesting with the new content, you know, you know, I'm probably kind of different from some other folks, like we said before, like I'm not, you know, just a voracious consumer of everything, you know, it's like I'll go through, you know, Netflix and, and, Hulu should you and HBO, yeah, and HBO Max and I see, you know, all these different things and there's a lot there. I'm just, you know, I'm not going to waste my time with content, right? For me, I'm just like, okay, I, this is a time investment and what am I going to put into it? Um, what content is really being produced for me, you know, like that's the key. And I think that might be the key for Netflix putting out as much content, especially new content is that they have to hit all these markets. You know, that's the idea is that, you know, if some people get smart, like the streamers get smart, they're going to really niche down in some areas. Right. Cause you could, if you got real smart, like you just made cat movies, you know, you could probably take a huge audience away from Netflix because there's people who just love cats. Yeah, you know, well, cats did come out in 2019, and it was terrible. <laughs> so there's your there's your pushback to that statement. But I think I get your well, you spirit. Know, if you exactly. switch if you switch it to dogs, your statement's completely valid. Yeah, right. <laughs> Especially uh, what is it the the wiener dogs? Uh, <laughs> well, people you know. are people are masochists for any movie where the dog has to be a martyr. Like they'll oh, watch yeah, it. They yeah, know yeah. it's going to break their heart, but they want to see that golden retriever take that dive. Yeah, like it's, it's the dog's a hero, you know, it's the, it's the hero. But I'm just saying like that could be the thing, you know, for the new streamer that comes along. Oh, it's like, I'm going to niche down and I'm going to get that audience and I'm going to create content. But Netflix is like, well, they're of course hedging their bets against the, you know, the fact that, you know, they're already in everyone's home. So it's like, okay, well, how do we stay there? Just make tons of content and I think on top of making that content, producing that content, putting it out there, 
they've also going to, you know, acquire content. That's not going to stop. Right. right. So it's just a glut of content coming through to make sure that, you know, their subscribers of all niches are being satisfied in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And if I had to hedge on one side or the other, I would hedge with Netflix. I'm a little biased. I've been with them since 2007 or been a subscriber since 2007. That's back when they were shipping you DVDs in the mail. And what I've learned about Reed Hastings and Netflix is that they are the Bill Belichick of companies. They make adjustments. No one in the movie business is better at making a competitive adjustment than Netflix. Every single time they have to adjust to the market, pulling content away from them or changing in a way that's threatening to their existence, they then pull the strings and make another move that is just incredible and, and counters it perfectly. So, you know, I think Netflix releasing these movies uh, to compete against Warner Brothers and HBO Max is just another example of a halftime adjustment by <laughs> Reed Hastings and crew. And uh, I would not bet against them. But you talked about being judicious with your time. How do you like that word? Judicious. Um, <laughs> judicious with your time. And, and, and we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, today. So topics on the agenda for today. We want to talk a little bit about something you may not have heard of before, which is called mimetic desire and the concept that it, it can actually create mimetic violence and why that's bad for creatives why it's bad for filmmakers and why Instagram has become one of the biggest social media companies on the planet based on it. We're going to talk about the movie uh, that is Wonder Woman 84, WW84. Uh, it's not quite a review, but we're going to point out some things about it that really stood out to both Nick and I. And we're going to bring it home with uh, uh, some words uh, about Martin Luther King Um taking it a little bit further than just a tribute in, in terms of saying, hey, happy Martin Luther King Day or MLK Day, uh, as this is being recorded on MLK Day and we'll, we'll publish shortly. So um, with that, I'd love to hop into our first topic, Nick. And this is related to branding and marketing, which is sort of our wheelhouse. But the question always comes up to us, like, how do I make this work? Show me an example of where advertising and marketing for an independent filmmaker on Instagram worked. Uh, uh, you know, how do I build my brand and then market my film effectively on Instagram or on Facebook for that matter? And Nick, we've always had the same response, right? Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's true for independent filmmakers as it is true for, you know, artists, other artists and in other industries as it is for influencers and, and major companies. It's like that, that brand really starts with you. You know, it isn't the individual products that you produce. Those are just, you know, different things that represent your brand. And I think we've always, you know, told filmmakers, that's where you go first. You know, I, I don't think that they always listen, <laughs> you know, that's the challenge there, but it's always go to your brand and what it is that you're trying to say to the world. Right. It, it's very true. And there's a reason, well, the reason why you do that is so that people find you after the fact, once they're sort of confronted with your project. And one of the di more difficult things about branding is what do you do during the in-between Right. You had a project a couple of years ago. You've got a project that's slated for a year out from now. In between, you, you want to make people know or make sure people know you exist. And that's where that branding comes in. But you meet a couple of different types of creatives in the process. Right. And most creatives live within creative communities that are sort of um, in an area. So New York creatives, Chicago creatives, L.A. creatives, Atlanta creatives, Nashville, et cetera. And then, of course, of course, across the globe, <laughs> Chinese creatives, South Korean creatives, Australian creatives, et cetera. Um, and so in these tight knit groups, um, you have a different a couple of different types of creatives. So the one type of creative is the type of creative that says, OK, I'm a really talented writer. And therefore. It's embarrassing to me to show that I'm striving to be a talented writer. 
And that's uh, a very human response. And we'll get into that a little bit later, Nick, but that's, that's a response we see. Now we see that with writers, directors, you know, you name it. The idea is, Hey, I'm already it. So I can't be seen striving to become the thing I say I already am. And it becomes a a matter of pride uh, to not do that. Right. And, the other type of creatives we we run into are are ones that want a bigger impact than they're getting. So they go out there, they make super creative stuff all the time. They're always posting. They're they're doing the branding and marketing thing. Maybe mostly branding, right? Because marketing really comes down to spending money to push ads out to groups that that you know don't know you already. But they're really doing the branding thing. But they're not getting the amount of likes they would want. And so it, it makes Nick and I step back and say, well, where did you come up with your metric and how many likes do you want to get? And inevitably, the answer is always related to some other creative that they view themselves as like. So, so it's like, okay, this is my internal or external model for success. And they get this many likes per post. So that means I can. And we get fed that all day as creatives. Like, right? Like there's gurus online. They're like, if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> you know, if right. I can get a million yeah. likes on this post, you can get a million likes. You're just not posting enough. You're just not working hard enough. You're just not this. You're just not that. And that's just not the case. Um, first of all, you have to fight against social media algorithms, especially on Instagram. If they don't feel like you're using their platform for everything that you do in terms of posting of content. They're not even going to show your post to your best friends. And so you look up and you feel unwanted. And so there's that creative that feels exhausted by the idea of having to build up this like machine. And I think Nick, what I've come to find out about it is on Instagram, the, the, the person or the subscriber isn't the product and the thing they're taking the picture of isn't the product but really the like button is the product. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that, that sucks. And the reason that sucks is for all the reasons, basically all the, all the things you mentioned about what you're competing against in that process, which is, you know, I think honestly, primarily that algorithm, that thing will cut your legs out. Just like you said, like some of your stuff, your family <laughs> won't even see based off of how that thing works. And, you know, that like button, you know, it's like, well, why are people, touching the like button. I think that's where you're getting to with, Mm. um, you know, the mimetic desire, because I'm sure you and I have seen numerous posts, let's say over the past week, you know, of the ones that we actually clicked on, why did we click on them? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, you know, someone who has, I think this is something I've thought about when I first started on Instagram, period, was like, if this person that I'm following has, I don't know, 5 million followers. Why even push that button? Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. I know like, every person like, on Instagram has thought that. Like, <laughs> yeah, what is like, it? What's what the value in it? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like there's other people doing it. So then it d- does beg the question about the other people that are clicking it. Right. And I think that it, it's, it's not you liking that's not, it's not that simple. It's almost like you're, almost cheering for yourself, right? Like you're cheering for the thing that you want as well. Like you're, you're almost like, yeah, you get, you're getting it, you know, like you're getting that thing that I also desire. or You have that thing that I want and that's what you're actually liking, mm-hmm. yep. you know? Yep. So that's the driver behind the like button. Yeah, because one of the things we reported last year was that early last year was that Instagram was likely going to get rid of that button and that and that there's a good chance that just for the sanity of its users, it was going to get rid of the like button. And the reason it can't, we've discovered, is because that like button is the whole platform. It is the product. And if you're an actor, for example, and you see a post from The Rock you don't have any internal conflict by seeing that he has 5 million likes on a post. 
You have no conflict with it whatsoever if you're an indie actor, right? But who does have a problem with it, right? Maybe Kevin Hart, <laughs> right? Because, <laughs> because that's his peer, right? And so they're competing in a space and they're, they're too close to each other. So we talked about internal and external models. And I think it's really healthy for independent filmmakers to have an external model. Like if you're an actor, let your model be, you know, some actor that you feel is really far away from you and you'll have to go a really long way to be their peer. Why? Because you'll be happier and you won't suffer from comparison with them. And it's very unlikely that you're going to, to get in a conflict with them that even matters. Uh, but what happens all too often is that um, X filmmaker has released an independent film in your independent uh, in your space in your city, and you're also making an independent film. So what happens is is you don't comment on their posts, you don't like their posts, um, or you like them. And because they're your internal model, like, mm, if, if only I could be as good as that director or that filmmaker, then I could get the accolades they're getting. And I really can do it because this person just lives down the street from me <laughs> and we live in the same city and I've had coffee with him or her before. And like, yeah, like I can totally be that person. And what ends up happening is you compete with that person, compete with that person, compete with that person to, because you're chasing and trying to be like them. And eventually you have a conflict with them. And Nick, you and I have actually mediated some conflicts between creatives in a small creative space um, relative to the world, right? Um, where we've seen that mimetic desire turn into mimetic violence, right? It's, it's, it's a fascinating thing to watch. And so I think Nick, for me, and this is a bit of a tangent I'm on, uh, but I th hopefully it's a valuable and meaningful one is that I think if you're in a community that has a lot of creatives, it's better to make a tribe and see if you can work on things together and make money together as, as, as well, you know, as you can and as good as possible. So that, and then also to, to maybe from a branding perspective, put your brand on Instagram, but try not to spend a lot of time liking and, and being on sort of a, a hunt for likes yourself. And you're, so you're just putting out your brand, you're supporting the people that are in your tribe and you're trying to grow your tribe so that, you know, everyone in your, um, in your filmmaking team can grow with you, make money with you. Otherwise a conflict is inevitable and, uh, it's going to, to stall you, slow you down and get you into unnecessary, unnecessary and meaningless conflicts and fights. Yeah. And just to, to also wrap that up a little bit on the mimetic desire, it's just this, this it's a desire for what others desire, right? Like mm -hmm. creating your, the, the basis for your desires off of what someone else wants. And like you said, that that's going to ultimately, you know, create this conflict because you both can't necessarily have it, right? Especially mm -hmm. in those smaller communities, you know? So, you know, again, the, the liking of things that people put out there on, on Instagram or elsewhere, you know, you're liking what they have because they seem happy in that environment, right? And it's the joy um, that you want and that you hit that like button, you know? Um, but again, it works, it can work against you in the smaller community because you, you don't want to be seen as, you know, I guess promoting the other person who's potentially taking something <laughs> away from you. That's right. <laughs> right. You know, taking out there some audience away from you or getting accolades in the same world that you want those accolades. So again, I think that's, that's the challenge with that. And I think that this is also the challenge with, um, you know, independent filmmakers putting their content out on social media and not getting the likes that they want. Um, I think, again, it's just a victim of that in that, you know, they're putting it out to their peers. And even though their peers may personally, you know, internally acknowledge that what they did was great, uh, they can't bring themselves to acknowledge it with the like button or a comment or a whatever it is, uh, because that is, that seems to be, you know, pushing that other person up 
which of course inherently in their brains would push them down you know but like you said we can occupy and should occupy the same space because working together lifts us all up not just one you know one of us or one or the other yeah and, the, and there's a great independent film called don't think twice with keegan michael key and, and others that really hits this concept on the head because they're all improv comics and and they all can't make it but they're all so close to each other in proximity and in talent that it creates this sort of mimetic violence we've talked about that's created by um, just wanting to to model after someone who did get that big shot. And then that person, to your point, Nick, is simply modeling maybe the person, in the case of this movie, that person is just modeling Adam Sandler. Like they just want to be the person that made it to Saturday Night Live and then went on to have a movie career, right? And so it, it feeds upon itself. Um, another phenomenon that shows up in is Vimeo. And this is, you know, me and you are on Vimeo a lot, checking out the latest short films and films that indie filmmakers are making that uh, are staff picks and, and um, get great responses or, or maybe are undernoticed. But one thing we notice is that not a lot of engagement, if you go to YouTube, you'll see thousands of comments on a Hot Wings video. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you, thousands. Right. And, uh, or, or to your point, Nick, a cat video. If you go to Vimeo, this is art people are making. And you will see one or two comments. Sometimes if you get a film by a filmmaker that it doesn't feel like they're in your peer set, then you'll see tons of comments all of a sudden. Right. Because I'm not threatened by that. Um, I don't have to hate on this other filmmaker. Uh, there are, they already made it and they're my external model for how to have a career. So I can comment on that safely, but because Vimeo is mostly the foundation of it is independent creatives and filmmakers. They don't seem to show each other the sort of gushing, warm love for their work that you would see on any other video platform. It's fascinating. And I've challenged this audience to go out and just check out the difference between a YouTube comment on a meaningless video, rel meaningless relative to like how hard it is to make a film, a short or a feature, and then go on Vimeo and see the kind of, you know, feedback and, and love that a really good short film or feature film gets. And it will not even compare you know, whatsoever. Uh, it's a, by the way, this is a topic, Nick, we could probably talk about like in a keynote speech, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we could probably go on for it, but, but let's, let's take this opportunity to talk about another feature film that, uh, has gotten a lot of tension, but, but may not get a lot of love. Wonder Woman 84. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, this is one folks, you know, I'm not going to give away anything, you know, cause it's, uh, it's still streaming for a couple more days before it moves over to its, its next place. Um, uh, so many people might not have seen it, so I'm not going to go there with any spoilers or anything like that. Cause I'd love to break this film down, you know, almost minute by minute, um, to share some things, but at a macro level, the main thing that I wanted to share was like, so I saw this, this film and, this is part of that, you know, DC universe. And it's part of the DC universe that honestly hasn't been, in my opinion, and many others. So I know others are out there who agree, but it just hasn't been doing it. it hasn't been hitting the mark as <laughs> other universes like the Marvel universe have over the past several years. And I think there's this desire to um, kind of keep supporting DC because those characters are, are timeless characters. You know, they mean something to so many of us in so many ways. And we want to see that franchise, you know, be successful. And, you know, they're backed by, you know, major studios. You got Warner Brothers Studios, you know, making these films. Uh, but, you know, my son is a, is a big fan of superheroes, regardless of, you know, which universe they live in. And he really wanted to see this. And I hadn't heard a lot of great reviews, but, you know, he wanted to see it. So he got me to watch it. And I'll just say that, you know, at the end of this film, I told my son never again. Right. I was like, we're not going to do it. Like you got me to watch Justice League and I and I made it happen. Right. And I was not impressed. You know, you got me to watch Aquaman and I was seriously like, dude 
you know, I, I can't with these movies. And then there was WW84 and that was it for me. Right. I'm not going to do it again. Like if I, if I know, especially this DC universe, I'm just not going to do it again. And I was really kind of, kind of incensed by it. Like this was the one that really were. got, yeah, it got, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back with this stuff. And, and it really has less to do with DC, you know, comic superheroes and, and, and Warner brothers. Like it was, it really was more about the independent filmmaker and budding filmmakers uh, watching this movie. I just felt like they broke every rule of storytelling um, that you would give to a new filmmaker, a new writer, a new director. Like they broke all of them. You give know, us, like can the, you give us an example? Uh, I, 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 it's, it's hard because, you know, again, you don't want to give it away, but I'll, I'll, I'll mention this one. So it's Wonder Woman 84. Mm-hmm. Why 1984? Um, is that when the show came out? Because it was my sister Michelle's favorite show as a kid. She yeah, loved but, Wonder Woman. Right. But why, why 1984? In the film, forget the stuff that's on the outside. Like, oh, maybe that's when the show came out. It was earlier than that. Like the original uh, show that came out, I think that was probably in the 70s. And you can we can fact check this later. But in the movie, they don't tell you why 1984. It's called that. It's called <laughs> WW84. Why are we in 1984? Right? The last one that they did was in World War One. Mm-hmm. Right? So... And that's when she appeared, right, to mankind and all this stuff, right, from the Amazon. Why 1984? Like, there's no explanation for this whatsoever. And they did a lot of these things that's kind of like a theme throughout the film. It's like, why this? Why that? Why did this happen? How does that make sense? Like, just give us some explanation, just a little bit, tie things together. Were there, like, a lot of 80s jokes like, uh, like thrown it, in. Did, uh, did, did, did it, anybody do coke? No, I just, I just have to put it out there. Did like anybody this. take say, quaaludes? No, I'll just put it like this: the the way that they placed eighties. I haven't themed, seen it by the way. Just to right, put it in right, eighties yeah. themed elements mm-hmm. was so on the nose that it was fake. Like I, I was, I, I was in the eighties. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I, I was there. <laughs> it didn't look like that. You know what I'm saying? What, what, the way that they made it look in this movie was like bad 80s movies. Like it's it's the exaggeration of 84. Let me say right? something. For for people who haven't lived through several decades and seen trends come and go, the one thing history always um, sort of, or I should say pseudo history, pop culture history gets wrong is that the clothes that they show you that people wore were the clothes that the celebrities could afford. Right. Like no one, or even the styles. Yeah. The right? styles, the, clothes, the styles yeah, that they yeah. emulated. Yeah. We exactly. Could, regular people didn't dress that way. Didn't act that way. Couldn't, couldn't do it. Right. Like, no one dressed like George Michael except for George Michael. Right. And that's, there you go. So you hit it on the head and that's what they did in this film where it's like, again, I'm, I'm, I don't want to point any fingers at one you know role of the film, but I look at it and I say, you know, those who created this world that they were in could not have lived in the eighties. Right. They just watched 80s movies or 80s television and then created this thing. You know, that aside, you know, this is also a a superhero movie. We're waiting for stuff to get blown up, people to fight, you know, something that happens that's superhero-y, you know. And I got to sit through an hour of them trying to make me feel like I'm in the 80s. Yeah. Like literally an, there's an hour of them showing things, artifacts, right? <laughs> Foods, way, me, you know, people's hair. Let me introduce hair. you to I'm a like, time before time and it's called yes, the 80s. Exactly. Like that's what this was. And it was just insane. So anyway, I'm just, just, again, this is kind of a bit of a I'm probably not going to watch it because you hate it so much and I trust your judgment. 
So I'm just going to ask, were there any Bill Cosby or Ronald Reagan cameos? Oh, oh my gosh. Again, dude, this is difficult. You know, I guess we might have to just put on this that there's a spoiler alert, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoilers. Okay, just let's just do that. Spoiler now. warning. Be yeah, in the show a little notes. spoiler warning. And yeah, just have to put it on there because of the comment you just or the question you just asked me. So you just said Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. Who was the president of the United States of America in 1984? <laughs> Correct. He's not in the movie, but they have a president. It doesn't oh. look like Ronald Reagan. He doesn't smell like Ronald Reagan. It's not Ronald Reagan. Who is this person? Well, who did they say it was? The president. <laughs> That's all they said. Well, what they was the president's to- name? The president. <laughs> this is crazy. You know what? Dude, someone at the look. studio, someone at the studio chickened out and didn't want to put a Republican president in a movie. I think but that's I'm really what saying, happened. How crazy is matter. this? He didn't even look like Ronald Reagan. Like nothing. He didn't even look presidential, to be honest. But the thing is, is that that's what are we doing here, folks? You know what I'm saying? That's something. What are we doing here? It's so fake. That it's not even fantastic, right? It's not even like you took us to some alternate universe and then you explain that to us. No, you went to DC, right? Mm. And you tried Your to make ground. fake, yeah, fake eighty four DC with a fake president who's not the president of the, like. It, anyway, there were things. I'm just telling you, man. It's like when I watched Aquaman, and you know, I still have this joke with my son. It's like you know, Aquaman, you know, was on this boat and he didn't have a shirt on. And then he got up and he started walking and he had a shirt. <laughs> where'd that shirt come from, man? Like, where'd that shirt come from? What so you didn't I'm read just, in the Aquaman comics when you were a kid, Nick, is that he can manifest. Manifest the shirt, right? No, man. <laughs> so, like, the same thing happens in Wonder Woman 84. It's like, wait a second. How did you get from here to there? Explain that to me again. How'd that work? No explanation. You just got to accept it. Right. It is what it is. So that's what they did. They did a lot of things without any explanation whatsoever that you were just supposed to accept. And it was nonsense. Again, when it comes to what one would teach, you know, a writer, director, or writer, director, these elements are things that you would just, you would teach out of a student. And the reason that as to why I'm so incensed isn't just for my own viewership. To me, I just feel like it is irresponsible for a studio that large to put something out there like this because I'll just say new or unseasoned or even filmmakers who are out there making stuff now, they may look at this and see that as a benchmark. Right, and now we're going to get a lot more of this bullshit. But the, but they're not. That's that's my concern. Like you're not going to get it because you won't be allowed in the door if you write something like that. Only oh, Warner yeah. Brothers can do that. Oh. You as an independent filmmaker you will not. Yeah. yeah, you'll not get away with it. But if you try, because Wonder Woman eighty four did it, right? You have this incorrect benchmark, and it's gonna it's gonna mess you up. So yeah. I think that's that's why I'm upset. It's just like you potentially just messed up a bunch of filmmakers who who are now going to emulate this and are now going to run into a brick wall that they created and they can get away with it because they're Warner Brothers, because they're DC, because they're HBO Max, because they're Gal Gadot, because they're all these. They can do that on that level, but independent filmmakers, new film, filmmakers can't do the same. And the I haven't even seen it. But the thing that kind of gets under my skin is that it felt like we were sort of put into the sales cycle as as fans and viewers and consumers of the of the movie. Because when they made this movie, it was designed, it was going to go out in theaters and it was going to be an absolute hype machine. And they were going to make all their money back. They know the they know the story's flawed. They know it's got its problems, right? But they were going to to put us into the sales cycle, almost the way that like like this happens in a lot of industries, by the way, right? Like uh, a pharmaceutical company, pharmaceutical company might know that a particular drug isn't like the safest, but they but they actually can't dump all the drug they already created because they found it too late. 
So they're like, hey, man, let's put it out there. <laughs> now you're in the sales cycle. You're taking the drug. And then seven years later, you find out, um, oops, causes cancer in about 5% of the people. Uh, car industry does this, Nick. Uh, Volkswagen. I had a Volkswagen Jetta when I was in college, the Wolfsburg edition. It could never, ever, ever pass MARTA. It could never get right. And its O2 sensors went out constantly. I didn't know what was going on. Now, I had this car in 2001. It's just almost two decades ago. It is two decades ago. Okay. Um, or it was 2001 Volkswagen. I had it in 06 and 07, I think. So, come to find out, Volkswagen was cheating on emissions the whole time. And their cars not only weren't cleaner, which is what they were advertising, they were quite dirty. They were dirtier than any other car. And so, it never ceases to amaze me what a large corporation will do if they think they can get people to, to, to buy a product with, you know, uh, sight unseen based on hype, like that sort of hype of life, if you will. And that's, what's got me a little frustrated about it. Um, and it also made me think about like, what was the last movie that I saw that was really bad? And I didn't understand why. And for me, it was Hubie Halloween. I love Adam Sandler. Uh, He continues to play the same character over and over again with the same voice. In kind of the same outfit. I don't understand what's going on. Is he in a bad contract? Is this like when you put out a bunch of bullshit albums so you can get out of your record deal really fast before you make your good music again or something? I don't know. But I couldn't finish Hubie Halloween. Do you, do you have a movie, Nick, besides, like, is, is there a movie you can think of besides Aquaman and Wonder Woman where you're like, oh, this is bad. And I did, and it shouldn't be because there's too much money and too much talent. Well, I would say I'd have to agree with Hubie Halloween. You know, I mean, the like you said, too much money and too much talent. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. I mean, did you see the <laughs> cast of that film? Yeah. You know what crazy. I'm saying? Like, these are <laughs> these are great actors in film and television. Yeah. Right? I mean, who've done some phenomenal things and won awards, you know, across both. And, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know if I made it, I don't know, 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. And it was, it was hard. So now for you, you said you didn't know why, right? You didn't like it mm-hmm. for me. Well, I know why the, I didn't like it. I, I'm saying, I don't understand how this could happen. Oh, right. You know, so for me, yeah, I was, I was really kind of hurt by the fact that it's almost like Adam Sandler and the team were saying the people that we're marketing to for this film don't know us. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe maybe they were successful for that reason is that the people who did watch it didn't know them. So but for me, I know them. Right. I know those films that they did. I know those accents. Right. I know those things that they did. So now it's like you just jumbled them all together in one film. So it wasn't Zohan. It wasn't, you know, Happy Gilmore. It wasn't. And I can just keep going through it and just like it's all of them jammed together in this just mixed up mashed up character that doesn't make sense yeah and that's the part that got me and it's like how could you do that it's almost like you just ran out of ideas so you just mash them together so it wasn't one thing it wasn't a new thing it was all of those things and it just it was just sad to me i i couldn't make it through yeah me either and what's happening is is him and adam mckay are working this theme of the other and and adam always plays the other for the most part and the person that's getting bullied, the person that's underestimated, the person that's getting made fun of. But what's changed is society and society has changed in a dramatic way. The zeitgeist has changed where everyone's sort of on board with, Hey, we got to stop bullying people. Online bullying's out of control. We're going to shut that shit down. I mean, we're even censoring people on social media, maybe for the last five years. So, like these things happen now. And so the, the society has moved over and, and now you can't relate to someone who gets bullied so relentlessly anymore because that was a problem that happened in WW84. No, 1984. Sorry. <laughs> that, that was a, that was an eighties problem. The eighties right. problem was, was this, this idea nineties was this idea of the other and like, where were you going to find tribe and where were you going to find understanding and all that stuff? And now 
um, people play a status game where they'll go out of their way to be understanding to somebody who they think is the other. Right. And so, well, uh, let me, let me, the, let me the, add the, to the, that. The, the movie's theme doesn't even land anymore. Yeah. Let me, let me add to that and just say that I think what's switched now and I, and I could be wrong, but this is the feeling that I'm getting is that what's switched now is that the other has switched to an internal thing mm. where it's the protagonist who believes that they're not being accepted or they're not part of, or they're so different. Right. It's internal strife versus this external strife. Because like you said, it's just like, that doesn't happen in that same way anymore. Um, again, cyberbullying is real. Bullying is real. Like, it's not like it's gone away. We're not saying that that's the case. Right. But I think in this kind of, open, almost like accepted fashion, that's not happening anymore. Yeah. Right. Like where Hubie's getting, you know, stuff tossed at him and all of a sudden everyone in the community is laughing. No, that that's not, that's not now that's not happening. So like you said, like, it's very hard to even relate to this character that yes, in 1984 or 1991, you know, that might've been something that we've been like, yeah, for real, that happens. Right. We could relate to it. And look, if anybody wants to go out and, and, and watch WW84 and thinks it was great, uh, please uh, hit us up. Social media underscore Bonsai Creative. Let us know your thoughts on it. Let us know what we're wrong. You can email us at contact at bonsai.film. Let us know uh, why we're wrong. Because sometimes a movie's good or bad based on the context. I remember being 14 years old and sneaking into uh, Basic Instinct. Uh, it was the best movie I saw for the price in my life at that time. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but the context was I got in for free, got my snacks for free, and I was 14. I also You're remember 14. watching... 14-year-old exactly, boy. 14-year-old boy. And I remember also going to see Beer Fest. And Beer Fest, I, it was for my birthday, and I drunk a... Uh, I, is it drunk or drink? I drank a 64 ounce big gulp of Sprite and vodka. And, uh, <laughs> and I may or may not have, uh, you know, had a puff or two of, of the magic dragon. And <laughs> I'm there with my friends. We're watching beer fest. And I'm telling you, Nick, I laughed until I cried. I was like, my cheeks were wet. My lips were wet. My, t- the, the, my t-shirt got wet because of the tears coming down. And I remember it being the funniest movie I'd ever seen. And uh, like right up there. Right. And then I watched it again on like a, a TV replay and it was bad. And I was, like, <laughs> I was like, Oh, Oh my God, where was the funny movie that made me laugh until I cried um, before. And, and really it was just the context, you know, in which, I'd watched that film that, that made it so good at the time. And sometimes like, I'm thinking, okay, we're not perfect. Nick, maybe you watch WW 84. And because you're watching with your son, there were all these parental duties going on and all this other stuff. And you just couldn't get into the meat of the content. Nah, man, I'll, I'll give you this, that, <laughs> you know, I'll, I, all right. I, I thank you for trying to give it, you know, some excuse for the, just how bad it was, but one of, I will, I will say this, that, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not the voice on this stuff, right. I'm, everyone's going to have their own opinion. And like you mentioned, some people will love it, you know, for their own reasons. I'll tell you, my son didn't, mm. right. He was yeah. like, I agree, dad, like, we're not going to do that anymore. Okay. Aquaman was bad. This was worse. I'm not going to do it. But I, you know, I did try my best to say, okay, if you were to like this movie, why would you like this movie? And I even thought about it like this. It's like, well, what if the intent was actually to make it like a bad 80s movie? Like, that's oh. why 1984, right? Like, Three's Company, but long. This, yeah. If this movie was made in 1984, what would it look like? What would it feel like? Now, that doesn't fix some of the many storyline foibles and things again, where they didn't explain things to you, but the clothing, you know, some of the stuff that they did in there that was just ridiculous. It's like, well, maybe we would have accepted that in 1984. 
Yeah. But like that's I, the like I, like, like I mentioned Three's Company, I loved it when I watched it as a kid. It was my favorite show. Right. But looking but back on it, it, it can be hokey, right? Like this dude keeps right. running into shit. Yeah, but we're not there. Like that's the that's the hard part. It's like if you had taken this back to my 1984 self, would I have liked it? Mm. But you can't do that, right, right? Right? Like it's it's not possible. So that's the part. Honestly, I I tried to give it that type of benefit of the doubt because it's Warner Brothers. Like the, I honestly, I had this this dialogue where I was just like, they can't be that stupid. Like, you know, like they can't be that bad at what they do. It doesn't make sense. There's too much money. There are too many people that are skilled. There are professionals. These are not, you know, student artists who are just learning this, their craft. This is no joke. So what did they do here? And that is what I came up with is that if you had conceived what this movie would have been like in 19, if made in 1984, then maybe it passes. Maybe remember, it gets a thumbs up. I remember going to see a Samuel L. Jackson movie named Snakes on a Plane. Yep. In the theater. And there was a 17-year-old kid to my left, and he was absolutely shaking. And the movie had not started yet. It was still like intermission, like, like trailers hadn't even started yet, right? And I started to get worried for him. I thought maybe something was up. So I, I, I leaned over to him and said, hey, man, what's going on with you? Man, you good? He said, I cannot wait for this fucking movie to start. I feel like my balls are going to ascend into my torso. <laughs> and at that moment, that was his words literally to me. I feel like my balls are going to ascend into my torso. I don't know what's going on with that dude, man. Like, he was so... I, that is when I realized the power of branding and marketing around a movie. They had done such a brilliant job of like amping up Samuel Jackson saying there's snakes on this motherfucking plane. That, you know the voicemails, dude. Yeah. And the voicemails and like, <laughs> like the marketing campaign, that should be a business case at Wharton. Right. That should be a business case at IE or Harvard. Like, how do you market a movie so perfectly that was like you could and look, you're so hyped up for it. It's good when you're in the theater and then you go watch it again and you're like, this is the most ridiculous two hours one can spend at a theater. Yeah, or it was intended to be that way. Like they told yeah. you it was a spoof. Like it's it's a ridiculous premise. Everything about it is going to be ridiculous, yeah. but that's why you were so hyped about it. Cause you were part of the ridiculousness, yeah. you know? And I think that's, to I me, had to if see I it. Take now it I wasn't shaking like my friends to the left <laughs> that, I, that I didn't know just a stranger, but, but right. yeah, I was, I was there. Right. I paid a ticket. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say is like, you were, you were bought into that. Right. And I think mm -hmm. that that's what it was at a minimum. You know, I, I was not a big fan of the first Wonder Woman, but th that's either. DC and yeah, but DC and superheroes wasn't what they were selling, right? At that time, it was about you know the the female hero. She didn't have to be a superhero, right? But it was a female hero that they were selling, and you know that's what got people's butts in seats. Whether they and at the time they probably loved the movie for the experience, right? For being a part of that movement. That's what is going to resonate. Now, those same people, you know, five, 10 years down the road watching that movie again, uh, maybe they will still have those same feelings because of, you know, the zeitgeist at the time. And that's what, you know, will carry through. Uh, but if any of that has wavered in any way, they may find themselves in the same space watching a film and being like, whoa, what? This yeah. is what I thought was great. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, you didn't think yeah. the movie was great then either you were enamored by what you had bought into, which was well beyond, you know, what you saw on that screen. You bought into a little mimetic desire, my friend. And there you uh, go. yeah. And I remember that campaign. It was, it was a brilliant campaign around feminism and around w w uh, female empowerment, et cetera. But there is a lot of single women, single moms that were like, bitch, I've been a hero for 18 years. So <laughs> <laughs> they're like, where's my movie? Um, speaking of, Speaking of that, speaking of heroes, why don't we wrap it up with a little bit uh, of a tribute to Martin Luther King, um, kind of a historic MLK day in a lot of ways, because 
we have the inauguration happening in, in two days um, of the next president after such a tumultuous transition, if you can even call it that, and uh, a year in which um, there's been uh, riots and fights and, and violence, uh, peaceful protests as well, but all around uh, this idea of um, equal rights, um, inclusion, equity, but then also, unfortunately, white supremacy as well. And we've seen it. Um, we've seen both sides sort of be the worst of themselves. And there's been times where they've been the best of themselves. And when you really take in the last 12 months and try to sum it up in your head, you realize that we have gotten away from Dr. King's dream, Nick. Yeah. And I think, you know, for this day, you know, I've had to do some additional reflection and that's primarily because of my son, you know, who asked me yesterday, he said, so what are we doing tomorrow? And, you know, for me, I, I took the day off and, you know, when he said that, I was like, well, I don't know, man, you know, I don't, we'll, we'll hang out, we'll watch a movie if you want, you know, build some things together. He's like, no, I mean, for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and he's, he's nine years old and I, I didn't have an answer for him. Um, but I started to think about that and kind of reflect on it a little bit and just say that, you know, every year, you know, this is a holiday, it's a federal holiday. And, you know, I don't know of any particular pomp and circumstance that happens on this day. You know, we think about Memorial day or veterans day and, uh, we think about, um, July 4th and maybe even sometimes president's day, there's always like a barbecue, Right. Somebody always has some sort of barbecue at those events. Yep. Right. There's a thing that you do Valentine's day, right. You give somebody a Valentine or, you know, you, you share something, you know, to show that you love somebody. Mm -hmm. And then there's this thing called Martin Luther King Jr. Day. How do we commemorate that? Right. 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 You know, and I, and it kind of really started to kind of feel bad about it, but at the same time, I, I just started to think about, you know, Martin Luther King, you know, I, I guess, you know, for me in my head, it's, it is about him, but at the same time, it's not right. It's, he is the symbol, you know, that we chose, and I don't know who we are, but we, we chose, um, of the civil rights movement, because it's not like he and he alone, you know, um, fostered and facilitated that movement. There's so many other people, so, right? many. so many other lives on, on, of every color, Right. That were very important to that movement. And that we have Martin Luther King Day. So, you know, when he when my son asked me that, I, I first thought about it's like, well, you know, should we be sharing things about Martin Luther King Jr. himself? And, you know, of course, you know, we should do that. You know, it is again, he is the symbol of this civil rights movement. I think that, you know, uh, why we have this day. But I started to think, yeah, we need to think beyond that and think about what this day is supposed to symbolize and then reflect on, on that a little bit more. And, you know, I don't have an answer, you know, for that, but it made me think about things like, you know, as far as film is concerned, you know, think about the, the films that I've watched in my lifetime uh, that were impactful to me as it pertains to opening my eyes to uh, civil rights challenges. Right. And I think, you know, as, as a kid, I remember watching, you know, Malcolm X, you know, Spike Lee, I remember watching Rosewood, uh, Rosewood, man, that, that movie just hit me in, in so many ways. I mean, just the idea of the, um, the depiction and the discussion about lynchings and what mm -hmm. that really meant. You know, I think a lot of people consider that, you know, people being hanged by the neck, but there's so much more to that, uh, than just that, right. That might've been, you know, just to release them of the pain that they'd been put through, you know, and sent them off to another world. But, you know, I think that there's, there's a lot of things that, you know, in the film world that we can connect to that give us an insight over time, right? Not just when Martin Luther King lived, but before then, during then, after that time, there's so much content, film content for people to consume. And I think that might be what's important on a day like this is to give yourself an education give the next generation an education, uh, but not focusing just on those days. I think it's also important to talk about what's changed, 
right? What's happened as a result of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Mahatma Gandhi and all these other people, right? Like there's a lot of things that have happened since then that I think we need to also have an appreciation for that I think sometimes gets lost um, in some of the filmmaking that show just how horrible and horrid, you know, those times were. So anyway, just, it really had me reflecting on, you know, what are we supposed to do on this day for ourselves, for the next generation and thinking even beyond, you know, Dr. King himself and to what he symbolizes. Yeah. Thank you for that. And, and it's a good place for us to wrap. And the part that sticks out to me is, is what you're going to see. Uh, and I'm talking to the audience on this. You're just going to see post after post after post of MLK today. And I think that's awesome. There's nothing wrong with it, but be one of the people that celebrates film, watches the content around this movement, and then be one of the people that actually they're out there. They're on YouTube, they're on podcasts or everywhere. Be one of the people that go out and educate yourself on his actual speeches and actually listen to the content of it. Not just the, I have a dream speech, which was mostly impro- uh, improvised, um, you know, at the end that wasn't even written down, um, to, to say, but, but the speech I listened to today was, was the speech, um, given right before day before he was murdered in Memphis, Tennessee. And you can't listen to that in the context that you understand, right. And, and, and not have the hairs on your back raised as you listen to him speak. And, um, and then understanding, you know, getting the education about the conflict between, um, himself and other civil rights leaders at the time, like Malcolm X. And so be one of the people that post, but also be one of the people that knows something about it and can sit down and talk to somebody about it and have a critical and important conversation with someone else that may not know as much. And if we do that, I think we'll get closer to the dream he talked about um, each, each day in 2021. So Nick, another fun conversation. Let me tell everybody where they can um, find us. I think I said it earlier, but I'll say it again for good measure. We're here on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative. Actually, on Facebook, you can find us just by searching for Bonsai Creative and we'll pop right up. We love to interact with the audience and we'd love to know how we can get better and do better for you all. And the best way to let us know that is at contact at bonsai.film. So do email us, let us know your thoughts and we'll get right back to you. If you don't want to do that, you can also leave us uh, messages, uh, DMs on social media as well. Uh, on Twitter, you can find Nick as an individual at Nicholas Bugs. You can find me at Flame in Your Heart uh, and you're spelled you are, or you can just search Christopher Barkley and I will come right up. Nick, give the audience the credo, my friend. For sure. So in 2021, uh, all that we ask is that you be better, be creative, and be engaged. And please keep listening. (laughs) Thank you, Nick. (laughs) I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. And don't forget to, uh, you know, rate and review the podcast. We love those uh, five-star ratings. Just keep them coming. Uh, We really appreciate all the love. Yeah, it's a good point. And we rarely ask anything of this audience, but but we would ask that it makes our podcast easier to find and it helps this podcast reach a larger audience as well. So you, you'd be doing us a great solid. Uh, this is a passion project for us. We love doing it. We love speaking about film. We love being involved in film. If you could do us the, the small favor of, of hopping on and rating five stars and leaving a review, even that would be uh, a small miracle. So we appreciate it. Nick, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. We'll talk. All right, brother. Take care. Yep. Laters. Peace. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. 
you have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.